sitting underneath a tree, and as he was sitting underneath the tree, an apple fell and hit him on the head. And it caused some tremendous thinking to go on. He said, why did that apple fall down instead of going up? And Isaac Newton developed the law of gravity. And what we want to take from that is there are certain laws that exist in God's universe that he has made. And today we're going to look at one of those laws. It's the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Through the course of this year, we've looked at the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit's arch enemy, our sinful nature. So today is technically part two of last week's message. Uh, we want to answer this question today, how do Christians continually overcome the sinful nature? So if you're following along in your outline, here's point number one, okay? Don't be deceived about sowing. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying to this church is that you and I have a fundamental problem. We allow ourselves to be deceived in certain ways, particularly spiritually. In other words, we'll make something up and call it truth, but only God is the giver of truth. We allow ourselves to be deceived in our thinking. So as you look at this text, the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived about the principle that I'm fixing to tell you about. Don't ignore it. Don't think you have a better idea. You don't. You see, in the church of Galatia, there was some people coming in trying to change their thinking about the gospel. So the Apostle Paul is saying to them, you got to think correctly. you got to think the truth, truthful thoughts, not ones that are your opinion. So what I'm fixing to tell you is a fundamental law, a fundamental truth of the Christian faith. And then he says, God cannot be mocked. Now this word mocked is only used once in the whole New Testament. It literally means to turn your nose up at. You ever have a conversation with somebody, they turned and walked away from you? Isn't that a joyful experience? And yet that's what the Apostle Paul is saying the person that deceives themselves does. Uh, when God tries to give them his word, they turn their nose and walk away. And they ignore him. When it comes to the precepts of Scripture, the kind of person that he addresses here perhaps is going through the right outward motions. They sing the songs. They do everything on the outside properly. But as our Lord says, they might worship uh, with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. It's the internal. What goes on on the inside? When you mock God, you just make a determination on the inside uh, that you're not going to listen to him, that you're going to ignore him. So the Apostle Paul says to these folks, don't deceive yourself. Don't be one of those people that walks away from God on the inside. Don't turn your nose up at him. If you do, you are going to violate one of the laws of God's creation, the law of sowing and reaping, which we see in the next verse. Notice what it says. A man or a woman reaps what he sows. It's an agricultural metaphor. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn, not wheat. If you plant wheat, you're not going to get corn. What you plant, literally, is what you're going to sow. It's one of the laws of creation. It's the way God made it. You don't have to like it, but you can't change it. You don't have to agree with it, but that makes you wrong, not God wrong. 
Many folks try to go ahead and change God's words and blame Him for the outcomes of their lives. Now, the Apostle Paul is not talking necessarily about literal metaphor here. He's talking about this is what happens to the person that's a Christian figuratively. In other words, think of it like this. A seed is a decision. The decisions that we make down the line will bring in a harvest. So we need to be very careful what field we sow that seed in. And the Apostle Paul basically says there are two areas that you can sow seed in. The first is the area of the Holy Spirit. The second is the sinful nature. Okay? So as you're looking at this text, it's saying, do not deceive yourselves about what I'm telling you. A man reaps what he sows. In fact, he says like this, you will always reap what you sow. Don't think differently. You see, we as Christians get frustrated with God sometimes because we feel like we can do some things and then expect a different outcome. And yet for God to give us a different outcome would violate the way He has set up His own universe. We think we can give ourselves a special pass and violate God's Word and expect God to just give us what we want. But that's the epitome of the sinful nature at work. You see, the sinful nature works even in spiritual areas. Uh, we tend to think that because we go to church or because we've been baptized that we have a certain measure of grace that's given to us that will violate this principle. And it simply doesn't. Don't deceive yourselves. But see, what we do is we go through life and we think that uh, if, if we're not careful, God will give us what we want. Perhaps this illustration will help. Back in 1982, ABC News uh, did a story on what they called a modern work of art. And here's what that artwork was. It was a chair affixed to a shotgun. Now think about this. You have a chair and on that chair you have a shotgun that would be pointing at the person that would sit in the chair. And what would happen is on that gun was a timer. The gun was loaded and that timer would go off at some point in the next 100 years. So guess what people did? They lined up down a road to be able to sit in the chair, and by sitting in the chair, look down the barrel of the shotgun, get up and say, I won, it didn't get me. It didn't shoot me. So they can tell their friends how crazy they were. Okay? And yet, I want you to see the principle here. That's what many of us do, if we think about it, with God's Word. We say about God's Word, this won't happen to me. Just like the gun didn't go off, we kind of take that as a philosophy of life. Because I got away with it, nothing happened to me. I didn't reap what I sowed. I would add to that statement, yet. Who of you plants corn in the ground and immediately within the next five minutes has corn grow up? You see, we forget the principle of time. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But when you sow a decision into one of these two fields... In time, you're going to get a harvest from the decision that you've sown. In fact, I'd say it to you like this. Right now, your life is a harvest of past decisions. You might be frustrated with your life right now, but your life is an accumulation of the decisions you've made in the past. You are what you've decided to be. I understand there are extra circumstances that come into play here. But by and large, that where you are right now, are you frustrated where you are right now? Well, it's time to, if you want a different future, to revisit your decision-making. 
Because the harvest you'll have in the future will come from the decisions you make right now. Seed planted will one day be reaped. That's the principle. Okay? And yet many of us are like these people. We just kind of sit there and we say, we're going to try to get away with it as long as we can. I'm going to ignore Jesus as long as I can. I'm going to ignore the Bible as long as I can. Fine, you might be getting away with it right now. But in time, that harvest is going to come in. It's a, it's a law of God's universe. In the same way that it happens in agriculture, it's the same way it works in the spiritual realm. Do not deceive yourself about this. Don't stick your nose up in the air and say, I'm different. This doesn't apply to me. A person reaps what they sow. It's that simple. And I want to be personal with you on this. If you're frustrated with your lot in life, the tendency is to blame God. Proverbs says, a man's folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. We give ourselves a pass, but we don't let God off the hook. It's time to be serious in our relationship with the Lord. There's a reason the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because people do. They get upset at their lot in life. But the Apostle Paul stresses this to us. Listen to me. Do not think differently. Because the world's going to try to get you to disagree with this statement. The world's going to say, oh, don't believe this. This is just the Bible. It's antiquated. It's old. It doesn't matter anymore. Fine. But the truths are timeless. Ignore them at their own peril. You're going to reap what you sow. There was a young man who had a terrible falling out with his neighbor. And uh, they, they, he got so mad at his neighbor, he made a really bad decision. In the middle of the night, he was going to go ahead and sow a really wild seed in his neighbor's field. So that would destroy, decimate his neighbor's field. And he did that. And over a period of time, he didn't, nobody knew who did it. His neighbor was just constantly dealing with these weeds that were growing up in his garden. And he got away with it. Many of us think, oh, I, I sowed some wild oats and I, I got away with it. Now, I'm not talking about the blood of Jesus now. The blood of Jesus forgives and helps us to move forward. But in this illustration, he went ahead and put these weeds in the field and he got away with it. Years later, guess what happened? This young man who sowed this bad seed fell in love with his neighbor's daughter. He didn't love a beautiful thing. He fell in love with his neighbor's daughter and they end up getting married. Right? They end up married. The girl's dad died. Guess what he inherited? <laughs> the field that he sowed weeds in. Just because you get away with it now doesn't mean you're going to get away with it then. Now listen, the easiest thing in the world to do is to think about somebody else that's going through this. I don't want you to do that right now. Look in the mirror. You reap what you sow. It's a fundamental principle. Okay? Don't be deceived about this law. Point number two. Make a decision about sowing. Look what it says in verse 8. Galatians 6, 8 says, You get two fields to sow in. The one who sows to please his sinful nature... From that nature will reap destruction. The word destruction there means corruption or disintegration. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, you get to plant your decisions in two areas. Sinful nature or, or the Spirit of God. So just by way of definition, if you want to write this down on your notes, Timothy Keller in his commentary on Galatians defines sinful nature. The word in Greek is sarx like this. It's the part of the heart that wants to keep control of our lives by being our own Lord. 
The sinful nature wants to be the controller, and the Spirit of God desires to be the controller. You could say it like this, Jesus is Lord, or I am my own Lord. So when you make a decision, you're going to please one of those two Lords. You're going to please the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to please me. All of us are born with a sinful nature, which produces epithemias, lusts, cravings, desires. We wake up each and every day, and we get to face the desires, either to fulfill them or go against them. All we got to do is look around us, and we can see people that make really, really, really bad decisions. I don't know about you, but my heart was grieved the other day when I saw two police officers walking in New York, and somebody comes up and just dumps water over those police officers' head, and people are just standing around laughing. I'm thinking, that's wrong. Don't do that. All of us instinctively know that's wrong. And yet when it comes time to making our own personal decisions, we give ourselves a pass. But make no mistake, every day you're going to please one of those two lords. The sinful nature or the spirit. And you get to choose. You're not a robot. Now, when you please to the sinful nature, you're going to reap, eventually... Destruction, corruption, disintegration. One of the commentaries I read kind of hinted at it like this. Look at old rock stars. Whatever. Look, look at people that have lived a very sinful life. Look at their bodies. Look what's, look what's happened to them over a period of time. And it's not just rock stars. It's anybody that's chosen into sin, self, me. I'm going to be in control and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Over time... It's going to cause the principle of disintegration, decay. And yet we think, nah, that's not going to happen to me. I can do what I want. I can please myself, go long as I want to. I'm going to turn my nose up to this principle. I'm never going to disintegrate because I'm young. I got a lot of good years ahead of me. It could be physical disintegration. Most of the time, it's spiritual disintegration. On the inside, you start to drift and you start to doubt God and you just kind of move your own way and you replace Jesus as Lord with, I am Lord of my own life. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about this principle. It hasn't happened to me yet. Don't be deceived. God's not done yet. It's a fundamental law that's going to continue to work. I love what John Stott said in his commentary about this. He said, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, to entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed, we ought to be up and praying. Every, every time we lie in bed instead, we ought to be up and praying. Every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. If you say, it is all about me, you're sowing to the flesh. Who are you to tell me what to do, Jesus? You're sowing to the flesh. If you ignore this word, you're sowing to the flesh. Do not be deceived. At some point in time, God's time, the harvest of that decision is going to come in. And let me tell you, as a pastor, when that harvest comes in, it's a sad, sad place. Now, we're Christians. I don't want to leave you without hope. We have a God that can restore the years the locusts have eaten. We have a God that is a restorer of men's souls. We have a God that can rebuild from bad mistakes that we've made. Amen? 
That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus died so that when you and I are born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes into our souls and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And now we have the power to say no to what we once could not say no to. And we have new desires instead of those fleshly desires that dominate us. And we fall in love with Jesus more than we fall in love with the sin that once enslaved us. We have a new relationship. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have a new love that we can pursue. And we can pursue Him all the days of our lives. A love that fills. A love that gives us hope. His name is Jesus. And His Spirit resides in the Christian. So we are overcomers. And greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Our God gives us hope. He's not done with you yet. But for this person who says, nah, I don't believe it. Who deceives themselves, who says, I'm going to mock God by ignoring God. Make no mistake, Scripture says, there's going to come a time when you're going to regret that. So each and every day, friends, we've, no, no, I want you to say this word after me so I know you're awake. We've got to make a decision. Say the word decision. Go ahead. You can even make that plural, decisions. Every day we get to choose who's going to be the Lord of our lives. Jesus or me. Jesus or me. Jesus or me. Do you know the decisions are important? I was reading this funny story this week about a pastor who was doing a wedding. You know how weddings are so beautiful and stuff. The guy's on one side, the bride's on the other. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you know how it goes. If you've ever seen a wedding, you know how it goes. He says to the bride, who takes this, loft? do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? No answer. Complete and total silence. You know, one of those silences that's really loud, that everybody's kind of going, say yes, say yes. All you got to do is say yes. She didn't say anything. She's thinking about it. Well, let me tell you, if you're thinking about it, that's not the time to make that decision. <laughs> Just say it, okay? There comes a time to make a decision before you make a decision, Okay? Private decisions should always precede these kinds of public decisions. And, and, and it was, he said it was just like this eerie spiritual thing where everybody's just kind of leaning forward and waiting. Maybe I can't hear. Maybe the mic's not working, you know. Finally she said, yes. I can go back and not pay attention anymore, okay? Listen, decisions matter. Even little ones. You're going to make a decision to please me as Lord, or you're going to make a decision that pleases Jesus as Lord. It's selfish, or it's for the Lord. Selfless. And I've noticed this through the years just by way of a commercial. It's been my experience as I've watched lives, and even in my own experience, the more selfish you are, the more miserable you are. You become internal. And you, you lose track of what's going on inside. You just listen to your prayers. God, help me. I give you my list. I, it's me, 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 Lord, me. One of the best ways to get over being selfish, start praying for other people. Pray for the lost. You know what? I, I pray for the church down the street, the churches in town, churches that are growing, churches that are dying, because it's about him, not me. One of the best ways to be a successful Christian is to be a selfless Christian. It's to say with John the Baptist, he must become greater, I must become less. God is pleased by that. In fact, if you want to see God's activity in your life, stop being so selfish. And start being selfless. If you're frustrated about unanswered prayer, God might be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, listen to your prayers. How much stuff do you want from me? You want stuff from me, but do you want me? 
Every day you make a decision. Third point, how do you sow into the field of the spirit? And we all know what it means to sow into the selfish spirit. I mean, we all know what it means to be selfish. We're really good at finding that out in other people. We kind of give ourselves a pass, right? But we can, oh, that person's so selfish. I mean, they're just so selfish. They didn't give me that seventh pizza pizza, you know, that kind of thing. How do you know if you're sowing into the spirit? Every day when you make these decisions, what does it mean to decide for the spirit? Look what it says in the next two verses. Determine to start, this is point number three. Determine to start good sowing. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How do you sow into the Spirit? Selfless acts of doing good for others. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in His name, you'll receive a reward. In other words, when you sow into the Spirit, you're doing good things, not selfish things. Sounds hard, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible's so complex sometimes, isn't it? You see, every time you do something good for somebody else, you are reminding yourself that He's your Lord, you're not your Lord. You drive down the road, you see somebody on the side of the road putting up a sign, we'll work for food. What's your first response? Probably like mine. Get a job! You know? I work hard for this money, whatever. Okay? But Scripture says... That's the way selfish people think. I have a job. I work hard for my money. And God might very well put that person in your life to kind of correct you of your selfishness. I heard one lady one time, she decided to do a little ministry for those kind of folks, and she would put together a bag of goodies. And every time she went to a stop sign, when they'd hold up the sign, she'd be pre-prepared. She'd have a toothbrush and food and all those kinds of good things for them. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is you've got to determine to start doing good. And when you start doing good things, you set in motion a process of sowing and reaping. Once you, now this is, we're not getting saved by doing good works. It's because we're saved we do good works, okay? That was discussed earlier in the letter to the Galatians. But what you see here, notice what the process is. Let us not become weary in doing good. There are a lot of people in here this morning. You're wiped out. You're tired. You're weary. You've been doing the right thing. You've been doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, you just say, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired. My, my soul is tired. You need to be refreshed. Spend time with Jesus. Tell him how much you love him. And once you get your batteries, your spiritual batteries recharged, you get back out there. Because you don't want to fall into that spiritual pity party. You know, it's so simple to do something good for somebody. You know what? I, I try to annoy people. Not on purpose, but it drives my kids crazy sometimes. You go up to a person that's at like a, a gas station. How you doing? Are you having a good day? Dad, stop. You know, you're embarrassing me. You doing all right? Good to see you. Sometimes you'll stumble across some folks that don't make a bit of sense what they're saying. You ever heard of those post folks? And you just kind of, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you to talk to them. But you want to bless them. You want them to have a good day. When you leave somebody, they need to have a better day than they were having before. Amen? You see, when you're sowing to the Spirit, God might bring somebody into your path that's having an absolute, miserable, terrible, horrible day. And that's your assignment for the day. To snap you out of your selfishness and allow you to be selfless to lift them up. I recognize we all fall short. We all make mistakes, don't we? But God is looking for somebody that's going to take him at his word and be serious about it. Now watch the principle here. 
when you do good at the proper time. Now that's God's time, not your time. Now they're probably going to be this size group. There's probably somebody here going, man, I have been praying about something for a long time. God has forgotten me. Well, you're still on your time. You're not on his time. His time is always the perfect time. And you need to be expectant and joyful and hopeful and start thanking God for his harvest. You just do the good and you leave the harvest up to him. One of the things I do in my prayer time, sometimes churches and Christians go through seasons of blessing and seasons of famine. But God's in charge of both. So you've got to learn to give thanks, like Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You just thank God for the season you're in. I kid you not, in the last two days I've had several phone calls, texts, several this morning. Jeff, I can't be there. Jeff, I can't be there. I get down on my desk. I'm thinking, man, oh man, what's going on? I say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your activity in our midst. Strengthen our people. Let us to do the things you would have us to do. But I am going to do my very best to make my decisions based on Jesus as Lord instead of me being Lord. If you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest. Don't quit when things are going bad. But I love this verse 10. I'm almost done. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. God's going to give you opportunities to do good. When you walk out of here today, and you go about your way and do your very things that you're doing, God may give you opportunities for you to respond in such a way that you can be selfless and not selfish. You can be a blessing to other people. I saw this little illustration from, you remember those book, Chicken Food for the Soul? You ever seen those? There was a guy by the name of Jack Canfield who wrote those, and he gave this illustration about doing good for others. He said, Arthur and lecturer Leo Biscoglia once talked about a contest he was asked to judge. The purpose of the contest was to find the most caring child. Now let's find a child that's caring. The winner was a, a four-year-old boy. You know what that four-year-old boy did? His next door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had just lost his wife. And upon seeing his neighbor cry, the little boy went into the old man's yard, climbed up onto his lap. And you know what he did? He sat there. And that's it. He just sat there when the elderly gentleman cried. He showed love by not talking. He showed love by just being there for him. When his mom asked him what he had said to his neighbor, he said, not a thing. I just helped him cry. I just helped him cry. You see, as you and I go through life, all around us people are hurting. We can ignore them and be selfish. Or we can be on fire for Jesus and just perhaps once every three or four opportunities make a difference in that person's life. Instead of finding fault with them. Instead of finding fault with other Christians who aren't doing what we're not doing either. It's so easy to critique. It's so hard to care. Let's be what God wants us to be. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this. Whoever sows generously will also, excuse me, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For God loves a cheerful giver. Give of your time, you'll reap time. Give of your money, you'll reap money. Give of your love and concern, and guess what you're going to reap? People are going to love and concern about you. 
They're going to be concerned about you. You ever said, nobody cares about me? Start caring for other people. God's not helping me? Start being concerned about what God cares about. And your harvest will come in. Sinful nature says, me, 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 I'm Lord. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus is Lord. You want to join your life, the fruit of the Spirit, start doing what Jesus wants you to do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today in this house to hear from your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give you praise and glory and honor. Father, you know every heart in this place. You know every need that everyone has. Some have become discouraged. Some have become frustrated. 